Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and thank you for joining me today for episode 12 of season four of Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm so glad you're here today, and wait till you hear why. First of all, I'm going to run through, of course, all the things you can do to help the show, which you obviously have been doing. First of all, you can follow the show or subscribe, depending on what your podcatcher calls it. And secondly, you can rate and review the show. And thirdly, you can join our Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group on Facebook. And um, you can also follow the show on Instagram. I'd love to have you there. And then, of course, if you're willing to put up some money to help the show, because this um, this podcast gig is not free for me, um, you can join our community on Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com slash Allison Treat, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. That's Allison with one L, in case you didn't notice that. I have a lot of great options for... Um, rewards for supporting the podcast on Patreon. So check them out. But also, I want to say a huge thank you to my listeners because only because of you, this week we hit 10,000 listens. That means that this podcast has been downloaded in, you know, all the episodes 10,000 times. And, um, I can I only have you guys to thank for that because you've been listening and sharing it and talking about it and I cannot even express my gratitude. I'm so excited. Also, I'm going to offer a special giveaway because of this momentous occasion, but you'll have to stay tuned until the end to learn more about that. It can, you know, um you can find all the details in the show notes on my website, alisontreat.com slash blog. The latest episode is always there with the show notes, and that is where this giveaway will live. And I will tell you more about it at the end of this episode, because I don't want to take any more time away from Regina Scott. Regina is such a great guest. She was so lively and fun to talk with. Regina Scott is the author of more than 50 works of warm, witty historical romance. A lover of history, she has driven four in hand, sailed on a tall ship, and learned to fence. I had so much fun talking to Regina about her latest book, A View Most Glorious, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation too. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Regina Scott. Regina, I'm so glad you could join me again on the show. I am delighted to be here. Thank you. Yes, your latest novel, A View Most Glorious, released October 5th. Can you tell me about this book? This was such a fun book for me to write. Um, I've written stories set lots of times in England, American West, Seattle area, but this is the first time I've written about the history in my own backyard. So it's set in 1893, um, starting in Tacoma, Washington, and it's about... Um, one of the first young ladies to climb to the top of Mount Rainier. So you say it's about one of the first young ladies. Was this um, inspired by a real person? In a sense, it was. My my heroine, Caroline Baxter, is completely made up. But three years before 
she makes the climb in my book. The first woman actually did reach the summit, and that was Faith Fuller. So in some ways, you could say I'm inspired by her. A few years ago when we were up at the mountain, they were giving out postcards of the first woman to climb. And I thought, oh, okay, this is a story. I've got to do something about this, you know? So yes, definitely inspired by Faye, although, and she makes a cameo in the book, but, um, but, but Cora is her own person. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So this book is the third in a series set in America's national parks. Is that correct? Cause that's true. Yes. Last year we talked about the one set in Yellowstone and I told you that that we had been to Yellowstone on the same trip. We went to Mount Rainier. Oh, how so, fun! <laughs> yes. So, what was the what made you want to write about the national parks and the history behind them? Um, I I do love the national parks, and that that comes from my father. He loved the great outdoors. He um, if. We were up on Mount Rainier almost every weekend when I was growing up. He just adored that mountain. And when we traveled, if there was a park on the way, we went there, you know? So he took me all kinds of places. And then when I had my own children, then, you know, I took, I did the same thing. And I took them to uh, Yosemite and Crater Lake and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's something very uplifting about being out in nature like that. You, you get in touch with the history of the place and the, the flora and the fauna. And I, just for me personally, I find myself closest to the Lord when I am out there in his creation. Yes, I think a lot of people find that too. How did this whole idea of the series about the national parks come to you though? Was it um, was it something that was in your mind since you became a writer or how did it take form? Was it something that your publisher suggested or how did you kind of come up with the, the fully formed ideas? Initially, when the, the first book in the series, A Distance Too Grand, um, which is set in the history of the Grand Canyon, um, mm-hmm. when I was what I wanted to do with that book is I wanted to write about a heroine who was embracing something that, that um, was more of a man's thing in that time period. And so I decided to make her a photographer. And then I thought, you know, well, what can she photograph that would be big, you know, something, something really impressive. And I thought, well, what's bigger than the Grand Canyon? <laughs> you know? Right. So I had right. worked up this concept for, this young lady who who uh, talks her way onto one of the first uh, military surveys um, of the of the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and uh, when we approach Ravel about it, my editor at the time said, "You know, this is great. Do you think you could do a series? Could you do a couple more set in the national parks?" And I'm like, "Oh, break my arm! Break my arm! Yes, of course. <laughs> That's a great idea." So uh, while I was researching A Distance Too Grand, I ran across this tantalizing little tidbit about how um, the cavalry had ridden to the, re- uh, to the rescue of Yellowstone. And I thought, ooh, that's a thread I really want to pull. I want to see where that goes. So that led to Nothing Short of Wondrous, which was the second book. But I always yes. knew the third book was going to be Matt Rainier because of my father. I had to yes. write about his mountain. <laughs> 
Yes, that's wonderful. So obviously you grew up close enough to Mount Rainier to go there every weekend. And um, you live, you still live close to it now. Is that correct? I do. I I grew up on, we have the west side or the wet side, as we call it here. And then there's the dry side, (laughs) the east side of Washington. So I grew up on the west side. And then after college, I ended up with a job on the east side of the mountains. So I was over there for a number of years. And then a few years ago, um, my husband and I really felt we needed to come back this way to, to help family. So we mm-hmm. moved back to this side and I now live 45 minutes from the gates of Mount Rainier National Park. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. So tell me what it was like to write about a place that you're so familiar with. I, you know, it surprised me that I, it just, it was almost giddy. It was so mm-hmm. much fun. There was a moment when I was writing the book and I got up from the desk and I ran out in the other room and I said, she's, she's two miles from us right now, two miles. And my husband's like, what? (laughs) But it was, I don't know. It was just such a wonderful feeling and to be able to go. I mean, I'm not one of those people who, if I'm writing about England or France, I can just jump on a plane and go to England and France and, you know, do the, to the research. But here I could, I could go and, uh, yes, we, we had a wonderful uh, map from the same that was actually published the same month my heroine makes her climb. And it showed the the road and the trip up from Tacoma to Paradise on Mount Rainier. So I told my husband, I said, let's follow it. And so one day we were, you know, the roads are not actually still where they were. So one day we were right. out driving, I'm like, turn left here. No, no, turn right here. No, no, turn, you know. And so we were trying to follow this map out to Mount Rainier. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. So when a reader is reading that book and it talks about Cora going up a hill and coming down with the horse and splashing through the through the mud. We did that, you know. We oh. we, we rode. I, I my husband drove and I went. Okay, no, I think this forest is too young. It wasn't here then. It would have been forest. It wouldn't have been forest, you know. And so, it, yeah, we mapped the whole trip, and so it was it was a lot. I just got the you can tell I just got the biggest kick out of it. Yes. Oh, that that sounds exciting. And so, since it was, you said it was your dad's mountain. Yeah. Um, was this book, did it feel like a special tribute to him too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a, I, there were several scenes in it that I, I had to put in. Um, one was there's a, there's a scene where Nathan, the guide, um, they fall, find a fallen tree and he breaks off a limb and strips it for Cora for her alpenstock for her to use, you know, sort of a, a stick to help you hike with, you know. Yes. My, did, my dad did that. Every time oh, wow. we went up there, he would find, he'd say, okay, look for your alpenstock. We got to, you know, we don't break anything. We've got to find something down here we can use for our alpenstock, you know? Mm. And, um, and then he'd always make me leave it. Couldn't take it home. Got to leave it where you found it, you know, because wow. that's taking from nature, you know? So um, yeah, there were a lot of things like that, that made me really think of him. Uh, my mother yeah. likes to tell the story uh, when I was uh, five years old. Um, dad was determined we were going to hike to the ice caves above paradise. They're gone now. And, uh, but then that was the big thing to do. And I believe it was like something like a six mile round trip. And that's a lot of walking for a little five-year-old, right? You know, yes. so, wow. uh, 
they were my my mom petered out part way, but um, but I made it all the way. And I've seen pictures with me up on my dad's shoulders, so I know I didn't walk the whole way. But he was so <laughs> proud of that. So every time I go to paradise, I ha- I I can't help but think of him. You know. Yeah, yeah. Is he still living? No, he passed away about uh, three years ago from Alzheimer's. So. Okay. I'm sorry. I just wondered if he'd been able to read it, but that's too bad. But I know he would have been really tickled about it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I am completely in awe of, of how prolific you are as an author. Um, we talked about this the last time you were on about how you'd written over 50 romances, but I'm just curious, like, where do you find every new idea? I mean, I understand the where this idea came from, but but 50 romances, how did they all come to you? Wow. Um, I would say a variety of ways. Some, sometimes I do. I'm like, honestly, I think they all come from the Lord. But sometimes yes. it, I'll have a very vivid dream and I'll wake up and I'll think, huh, there's, a, there's something there. I'll, I'm going to play with that idea a little bit. Um, other times I used to joke, I can turn anything into a Regency romance. So somebody (laughs) would, you know, say something about, you know, oh, I, you know, my, my, my car engine races or something. I think, oh, races. I wonder, could we, could I write a book about somebody who races carriages in the Regency? Hmm, Let me pull that thread and see where it goes. You know, (laughs) so it's just, I don't know. They just pop into my head sometimes. Yeah, that's wonderful. So tell me about your research and writing process. Uh, Like I said, I'll have an idea. Sometimes it's a setting. Sometimes it's some interesting uh, occupation or thing that happened. Um, For example, right now, somebody recently told me in Minnesota, back in history at some point, they were digging in July and they came across ice under the ground. So they had an ice festival. I thought, okay, that's a story. (laughs) I got to figure that one out. I haven't done that one yet, but um, sometimes, you know, you hear something or there's an idea and then I will do enough research to make sure that it's really plausible. Can this be a story? And sometimes you right. dig a little bit farther and you go, oh, well, no, that wasn't really what happened and that wouldn't really work. Or it's depressing. I don't like writing depressing things. So mm, no, right. I don't think I want to write about that. Um, but once I know that it's historically uh, accurate, that it is that it is something that could have happened or did happen, um, and that it's there's there's a good basis for a story there. Um, then I will work through, you know, okay, who are the characters? What do they want? What's keeping them from getting what they want? How do they relate to each other? And and do some of that. I originally was what they call a pantser. I just would get the idea and go. Um, it's yeah. amazing. Publishers want you to know how the book's going to end before you write it. Huh. <laughs> Go figure. So I do take enough trouble to figure that out. Um, yeah. And then um, and then I will do a rough draft. And as I am rough drafting, I may get to a point where I want them to wear something or eat something or go somewhere. And I'll think, huh, didn't research that part. Okay. And I'll just kind of rough it out, but leave it kind of vague. 
um, and make a note to myself. And then after the first draft's done, then I go back and specifically research all those things that I hadn't before to really flesh it out. Um, and then I'll do another draft and polish it all up. And uh, I have a wonderful critique partner who then will read it and say, do you know her eyes are blue in the first chapter? And then right around the middle, they turn green. It's like, oh, no. And so <laughs> she'll catch those kinds of things for me. Um, and she's yes. wonderful about saying, you know, right here, I want to step on his instep. She says that very Oh. And if it's the villain, I'll go, good. And if it's the heroine, I'll go, oh, okay, need to work that one. Um, yes. And then, um, and then, of course, then I finish it and it, and it goes on to my editor and, and goes on to become a book. Right. That's great. So um, when you're writing a book, what is your daily routine? Do you spend all day on different tasks in your writing or... Is it like you're done by 9 a.m.? What What is your typical routine like? I, when I first started writing, I had a very challenging career in another field, and I had mm. two small children. And yeah. so writing was 10 minutes while they're going down the slide. Oh, you look great. You look, keep going. You know, while you're in a, you know, a, you're writing longhand, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Now, of course, it yes. would have been a laptop or something, but it was longhanded, you know, and so I was used to stealing moments or, you know, half hour mm -hmm. at lunch or hour after dinner or that kind of thing. But as I was able to let go of that other job and my, my sons got older, I had to retrain myself to sit <laughs> for a longer period. Yeah. Um, and yes. so right now I find if I do more than two or two and a half hours sitting on a in the chair, I start getting really antsy. So I'll usually do about two hours in the morning, take a break for lunch um, and do another two hours in the afternoon. And then the rest of the day is spent, um, you know, posting on social media, proofing other things, um, maybe right. doing some planning, having lovely interviews with people like you. Um, <laughs> that, that fills out the rest of my day. Yeah, so much of the writer's career is not actually writing. That's just a small, <laughs> small part of your time, isn't it? So I do want to ask you something else about, um, well, regarding a view, mo a view most glorious, because you talked about how the real historical person that you kind of got the idea for um, Cora's story from, she made a cameo. How did you? work that out with um, meshing real events or a, a real person with your fictional storyline? It took a lot of checking because, I, again, I wanted to make sure that what I, the words I put in Faye's mouth, the actions that she took were real to her. So I, I read biographies. There's, there's a few biographies out on her. So I read those. Um, and a lot of them were very vague about the time that, um, that my heroine makes her climb. And so I ended up, first I wrote to our local librarian and said, okay, I need you to tell me, was Faye 
Fuller in Tacoma in August of 1893, because we know she went on to a different career a little later, and that date is kind of fuzzy. So what, and our local librarian is like, no, I, I can't find anything. So mm. we, then I went to the state historical librarian and said, okay, here's my dilemma. And bless her heart, she was able to narrow it down. So I'm still not 100% sure because she left in July to go cover the World's Fair in Chicago. But she was home in early September to receive a nomination for an award. So I thought, okay, we're going to go for it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yes, I did try and really, like I said, I wanted to make sure her attitudes, her the, the words I put in her mouth um, were accurate to her. So I did try to do as much research as I could about her. Mm, that's great. So then I also want to ask you, what are you working on now? Can you tell us about what your next project is? Um, one of my next projects is uh, I am uh, going to work with an author named Shelly Adina who is quite well known in the steampunk era Mm. area. And we are going to do a trilogy next year of three books um, and kind of moving it back a little bit closer to the Regency period. And it's really stretching the muscles, but still got a lot of good history in it and some alternative history because you have to change a few things, you know, to make it, make it truly work. But, um, but it's been, it's another, it's been a very good growing experience and it's been um, a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite genres to read. So it's been fun trying to see if I can write it. Oh yeah, that's cool. So this is a question I ask all my guests and you probably remember from last year. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? I think that one, it teaches us right? We can, we can look at what has happened before and we can say, huh, well, I should do more of that. Or, oh my, I should never let that happen again. Um, and I think it can inspire us when we look at, um, well, for example, my heroine. Um, now I think of climbing a mountain and I think of how much work and how much effort that would entail and the training and making sure you had the right equipment and the right guide. And yes. then I think about her doing it in skirts <laughs> and, and, mm. you know, and, uh, and having to get to the mountain days of travel on horseback and rest, you know, difficult conditions just to get there, to start the climb. It can be inspiring. You think, okay, these, these, the, our foremothers <laughs> really had to take an effort to get us where we are today. I can do no less for the future generations. Yes, that's true. So Regina, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, They can certainly come to my website at reginascott.com. I am on Facebook and uh, BookBub and Pinterest. And I have a blog called 19 Teen, originally started for younger people to get them interested in history. And now it's all over the place. And it's for anyone who loves history, all kinds of tidbits on different time periods and things. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Regina. 
I want to tell you more about this giveaway that's going on between today, April 21st, 2022, and the end of April, April 30th. So if you, if you are listening to this within that window, go to the show notes on my website, alisontreat.com slash blog, and go to the show notes for this specific episode for the episode with Regina Scott, episode 12. And um, there will be a raffle copter embedded in my website there, and you can enter this giveaway. And here is what, there will be one winner who wins the new edition of my novel, One Traveler, which has a bonus chapter at the end. And this edition just came out in December, so it's new. Um, You will not find this in the older version. And in addition to my novel, One Traveler, you will also get your choice of any book that I have featured on this podcast. I will order it for you or send it to you if I have it. And, um, and it would be a new copy, you know, unused. So that is what I'm giving away simply because you listen to the show. But I also have some options to get extra entries on that raffle copter. So check that out at alisontreat.com slash B-L-O-G. Now, as usual, I want to leave you guys with a quote, and this one comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson about nature. He says, nature is too thin a screen. The glory of the omnipresent God bursts through everywhere. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction and enjoying nature while you do it, if you can. And I will talk to you again 